Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast, Walking with Dante, a podcast that has so far walked itself all the way into the second episode of Canto 2 in Purgatorio. We have gotten a vision of an angel in a boat bringing more than 100 souls to the shores of Purgatory. We've seen Cato. I mean, so much has happened in Canto and a half already. Oh, just wait. That angel has taken off back to where he came from. We're at lines 52 through 75 of Keto 2 of Purgatorio. You can find this, my English translation, on my website, markscarbo.com or walkingwithdante.com. Either way, go out there, look it up. You can print it off. You can drop comments if you like. We got a lot to talk about in this passage because these are the pilgrims who have gotten out of the boat and are standing there with Dante and Virgil. Lines 52 through 75 of Canto 2 of Purgatorio. The crowd who remained there looked around the spot the way strangers do when they try to size up new locales. The sun was shooting its well-aimed arrows of light in every direction, for he'd already hunted Capricorn out of the day's meridian. At that moment, the new people raised their foreheads toward us and said to us, If you guys know, show us the path for scaling this mountain. And Virgil replied, Maybe you believe we're perhaps familiar with this place, but we're pilgrims, just as you guys are. We got here just now, just a little before you did, and but by another road. One so harsh and hard that this climb will seem like a walk in the park to us. The spirits began to understand who I was, that I was breathing, that indeed I was still alive, and they blanched with wonder. As people bunch around a messenger with an olive branch to hear the latest news without a care over how they jostle each other, so the whole lot of these fortunate souls stared hard at my face as if they'd forgotten they were to press onward to make themselves beautiful. That was a bit dramatic. Virgil saying, well, we don't have a clue about what to do next. The people themselves off the boat, we don't have a clue about what to do next. Everybody seems a little at a loss here. And yet there's Dante breathing away, which causes them to suddenly all stop and stare at him. We have a lot to talk about here. We want to talk about the way these souls arrive in Purgatory. We want to talk about that little strange bit about the sun and Capricorn corn and the zodiac we want to talk about virgil's response to these pilgrims because it is quite curious and then this problem of the uh what do i say the breathing pilgrim and the dead souls and the problems that is setting up for us so let's get started The passage starts, the crowd who remained there looked around the spot the way strangers do when they try to size up new locales. The first thing I want to say is that we've been told that Cato has seven realms in his kingdom of purgatory or seven pieces of his kingdom of purgatory. We'll soon find out it's seven ledges, but okay, let's just say seven realms. What's interesting here is that these souls are non-categorized. They're non-differentiated. They come out of this boat. They're 
over a hundred of them, and we don't know what they're purgating. What was their besetting sin? How are they getting up the mountain? We don't really know anything, and they're non-differentiated, even though we know this realm has seven realms This is an interesting bit for two reasons. One, nobody else we meet in Purgatorio will be non-categorized. Everybody will fit into a slot, and those slots will be extremely well-defined, even better defined than the slots the sinners fit into in Inferno. And the second thing is that this reminds us of Karen's boat. Remember all those souls flinging themselves into his boat to cross Acheron? Well, we didn't know what they were guilty of. Lust, violence, heresy. We see non-categorized dead people. The comedy as a whole is so much about putting souls into, to use the English word, pigeonholes. But when we start Inferno, and now as we're starting Purgatorio, we get this brief glimpse of a bunch of souls that are non-differentiated. But there's a second thing that's interesting about the opening of this passage. Note the parallel between the opening of the first bit with the angel. Dante has had his face cleaned up by the rush on the lowest shores of purgatory. And then they turn around and they face the growing orangish day. And then we get that bit about Virgil and Dante don't exactly know what to do, that they're standing there in lines 10 through 12, like people who know what they're supposed to do, go on, climb the mountain, but don't really have the heart to do it. In that instance, Dante and Virgil were hesitant to proceed. In this instance, these guys are hesitant to proceed. But there does seem to be a difference. In other words, back then, Virgil and Dante knew what to do. Cato said, go down there, clean up his face, and then don't return here. But by another path, you'll go up the mountain. Well, they weren't really looking for that other path. They knew what they needed to do, but they weren't doing it. This hesitancy here that starts the second episode in the second canto seems of a different order. These people seem hesitant because they're just not quite sure what it is they're supposed to be doing. Dante and Virgil kind of knew what they were supposed to be doing, but weren't doing it. This hesitancy is, what do I do? I got out of the boat. The angel made the sign of the cross over us. And now what? Interesting that people are dumped on the shores of purgatory without a clue what to do next. Is it, and this is a huge question that actually I'll confess to you the text won't answer, is it that because their desire is being turned toward love that they themselves will discover where they need to be on their own? Or is it that somehow this moment of disorientation and hesitation is part of the process of purgation itself. And let me just pull this to the modern world just so I can give you a note of this. I have another podcast with my husband, Bruce Weinstein, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and it's all about our cookbook career. And every week there's guests on and, you know, we talk about food and yada, yada, yada. We always end the podcast in the same way. What's making us happy in food this week? Well, this week we were recording an episode and I didn't have anything. 
for the first time ever, I had nothing that was making me happy in food this week. And that's because I have severely injured my left shoulder. It's, it's a whole boring thing. Oh, my God. A labrum tear and a rotator cuff tear and a biceps tendon tear and a bone spur. I was totally not interested in food all week. And I'm still not very interested in food. All I'm saying is maybe the path to my physical therapy and my working myself out of this shoulder morass starts with a little bit of, oh, I don't want to do it. Maybe hesitation is the beginning of purgation. Now, let's pull this back to Dante. Maybe that's the theological point being made, that a kind of hesitancy is actually, ironically, Interestingly, the first step toward finding a new life. Just think that through for a minute. Think it through what it means theologically, ethically, metaphysically. Think it through what it might mean for your life. That a little bit of hesitancy may be the right way to start the path to a new life. Let me go back and start the passage again and read the first nine lines. The crowd who remained there looked around the spot the way strangers do when they try to size up new locales. The sun was shooting its well-aimed arrows of light in every direction, for he'd already hunted Capricorn out of the day's meridian. At that moment, the new people raised their foreheads toward us and said to us, If you guys know, show us the path for scaling this mountain. I want to stop there on the Capricorn and sun bit. This is an oft-commented-on passage, and let me just unpack it for you. The sun is traditionally, you know, associated with Apollo, and Apollo is an archer. So we get this image of the sun as an archer reminiscent of Apollo, and the rays of light of the sun are those arrows of light that the sun's shooting. And as the sun rises, the zodiac sign Capricorn is at the top. The sun has shot its rays such that Capricorn, the old goat, has moved, <laughs> has moved on and is now moving toward setting. What that would mean is that Aquarius is rising toward the high point in the sky because Aquarius is the next sign to come up over Capricorn at this moment since the sun is in Aries at this time. Let me tell you that we could talk about this endlessly because so many commentators do. What does Aquarius mean? What does Capricorn mean? Why make the sun Apollo? What is this zodiac symbolism doing inside purgatory at this moment? It's really intriguing to think about Aquarius and water bearing and purgatory and a boat coming across the water and Aquarius would be climbing up behind Capricorn and Capricorn Capricorn's a goat and sacrifice from the Old Testament and the Exodus Psalm that we just had. Right, there's a million ways we can play with this. I want to play with it a different way, a way that no commentator ever has. Commentators play with it all those kind of ways. Let me play with it a different way. What's it doing here? If I read you the plot, the plot is the crowd who remained there looked around the spot the way strangers do when they try to size up new locales. At that moment, the new people raised their foreheads toward us and said to us, if you guys know, show us the path of scaling the mountain. That's the plot. But into the middle of that is inserted this zodiac information. Why the insertion? Why break the plot? Now, it's true. Medieval writers don't have a notion of plot the way modern writers do. So, okay, fair enough. But this has got to be very, very intentional that the plot starts moving toward this next sequence and yet it breaks. It hesitates. Is that it? In a plot about hesitating... 
there's a hesitation. The hesitation of explaining the Zodiac signs. I love this. I don't know if Dante intended this meta-reality to be the case, that the poem is actually enacting the hesitation, but I see it and I love it that we have got this entire plot about not knowing what to do and where to go. And what do I do next? And into that progression is inserted something that is interpolated and stops even the progression of the hesitancy plot. Just brilliant. I mean, really, you couldn't ask for more meta reality. You couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't ask for more postmodern poetry than that. I just want us to notice it and say, wow, okay, Dante's playing a really smart game here. Moving on in the passage, Virgil's reply. Virgil replied to them, maybe you believe we're perhaps familiar with this place, but we're pilgrims, just as you guys are. We got here now just a little before you did, but by another road, one so harsh and hard that this climb will seem like a walk in the park to us. Virgil uses a term peregrine here. We are peregrine, pilgrims. And it's the first use of this term. It will become a dominant term used nine times in Purgatorio and Paradiso. We have to think about this. First of all, nine times is such a three times three Trinitarian perfection number. Secondly, this is such a religiously loaded word, particularly in Dante's day. An enormous religious rite and act and a part of confession and repentance in Dante's day, much more so than even now. And we also have to ask, and this is another intriguing question, the word pilgrim first comes up here. Does that mean that Inferno was not a pilgrimage in some way? I want to tell you that I don't have an answer to that question. I've been playing with that question in my head for the last several weeks. Is Inferno a pilgrimage or not? What would happen if I said, no, Inferno is not a pilgrimage? Well, that would mean it was something else. Well, then what is it? An exploration of evil, something that is so debased that it can't even be considered part of a religious pilgrimage? That doesn't seem right, but is that right? Or is it a pilgrimage, but you don't know it yet? In other words, is there a way that you can be on pilgrimage without knowing that you're yet on pilgrimage? Is self-consciousness something that dawns on pilgrimage? I love this answer. Self-consciousness comes about from pilgrimage. And it's one thing to start out and say, oh, look at me, I'm a pilgrim. I'm walking a certain pilgrim's way, you know, and you're self-conscious of it from the beginning. But what if you get into a journey somewhere in your life and on the way there, you start to realize, whoa, look at me. I'm on a pilgrimage toward whatever it is in your life. And it's the dawning of the notion of pilgrimage that starts to happen inside of the pilgrimage itself, which has been a pilgrimage all along. I love that because it so speaks to developing an intentionality around what you're doing, to letting what you're doing become, in fact, the reality that it is. Oh, my gosh. I'm sitting here recording this podcast and all that's going through my head is a line from Wallace Stevens' poem, The Emperor of Ice Cream. The line is, let be be finale of seem. 
In other words, it doesn't matter whether things appear so. Don't worry about whether it appears. Don't worry about being a fraud. Don't worry about whether it seems right or wrong. Does it feel right? Does it seem right? Then let it just be right. Then declare it. It is right. Let B be finale of seem. Well, that's what this seems kind of to me. It's letting what seems like a pilgrimage dawn and then the self-consciousness arise rather than at the start of the act in the process of the act itself. Oh, I love that. But there's a better question, a deeper question, a harder question about these words that Virgil pronounces as his reply. Is Virgil a pilgrim? Dante? Mm, pretty much, we could say. All right, we don't have any problem with that. Dante, the, the sky walking along, we've called him Dante the Pilgrim all along, but the word hasn't been used until now. But still, we would say, sure, this is a pilgrimage for Dante because he's going somewhere, and the theory is he's not dead yet, so he's going to return from this journey and write this poem. Yeah, Dante's a pilgrim. Virgil? Could Virgil be a pilgrim? A couple answers. And, you know, I love to do this. I love to throw answers at you without necessarily giving you what I think is the answer. It's not a coy game on my part. It's actually the way my brain works. And I don't have necessarily the final answer on everything. I have my opinions about things, but I don't have a final answer. And this is the questions that occur to me. Is Virgil a pilgrim? Well, one... No, he's not. And so, therefore, he's inflating his resume. Virgil's done this before. He's already told Dante early on in the Inferno, I'm from Mantua. I'm from Mantova. He's not really. We talked about all that subulio bit early on in the Inferno and the way Virgil tends to inflate his resume at times. Is this another of those moments? Or is he a little bit, uh, what do I want to say, uh, disconcerted by these redeemed souls getting out of this boat? And so he's kind of hiding behind Dante. We're, you know, hey, this guy and I, we're both pilgrims. So that they won't notice he's Virgil and one of the damned standing there amongst them. Mm, Questions, right? Questions surrounding it. And so all of this would be that Virgil is not a pilgrim and that he can't be a pilgrim because he is one of the damned and he can't truly be on pilgrimage. Or here's a yes. Virgil is a pilgrim. And I would say that if you want to say, yes, Virgil is a pilgrim along with Dante, the only way to work that out is to say that Dante the poet so badly wants Virgil to be a pilgrim. That Dante the poet really would like to grant pilgrimage to this figure of the classical world, Virgil, his master. In doing that, he's fudged the line and for a moment given Virgil the way to be a pilgrim. If Virgil is a pilgrim, then he's a pilgrim in a specific way in this particular passage. He says, we got here now just a little before you did by another word, one so harsh and hard. And the words he uses, aspra e forte, are exactly the words Dante uses for the journey in Inferno Canto 1, line 5. Oh, how aspra e forte. Is Virgil quoting Dante? That's an interesting question. Is Virgil somehow quoting Dante? But that would say that Inferno was written before this moment, which isn't the truth. If you really think about it, is Dante back there in Canto 1 of Inferno quoting Virgil? Did Dante hear Virgil say this here, aspra e forte, here at the beginning of Purgatorio, 
and somehow reference it back at the beginning of Inferno. That seems impossible. It seems like no poet could actually pull that off. But it does seem logical, right, that somehow Dante has heard this. Dante ends his pilgrimage. He writes comedy. He writes the poem about the pilgrimage that he's been on. And he's heard Virgil use certain words. So he quotes him, aspra e forte. That's what the journey was through hell. It was really harsh and hard. Interesting questions all around. Whether Virgil is a pilgrim, I don't actually have a firm answer on that one. Think about it. Think about what it would mean to make one of the damned a pilgrim. Think about what that would mean if Virgil was lying here. Think about what it would mean if he was inflating his resume here in the afterlife. Can he tell a lie? Can anyone tell a lie in purgatory? Can you sin in purgatory? Oh, oh, that question's going to haunt us in episodes ahead. Oh, so many questions running all around us. Sorry that I can't come down for a good answer. You know what you need? You... You need a beer, you need a pint, or a nice glass of wine, or a nice cup of coffee, and you need to think it out. Going on in the passage. The spirits began to understand who I was, that I was breathing, and that indeed I was still alive, and they blanched with wonder. This word wonder has come up in the last three cantos. Three cantos in a row have mentioned marvels or wonders. At Inferno, Canto 34, line 37, Satan is the marvel. In Canto 1 of Purgatorio, the rush that grows back is the marvel. Here, Dante is the marvel. This is such an amazing moment because in this moment inside of the poem, Dante has stopped them and we've seen a progression of wonders from Satan to the rush, to Dante, our own pilgrim. This surely is a huge change. Dante wondering at Satan, Dante wondering at the rush, others wondering at Dante. Do they wonder at him partly because he has wondered at other things? That's a bigger question that I can actually answer. And I don't even know if it's really actually a question the text brings up. But we have had wonders in three cantos in a row, and there does seem some kind of progression being set up here. So, hmm, what kind of progression is it? Oh, so many questions. This is the problem. This is why people don't want to read Purgatorio and really don't want to read Paradiso. It's because there are more problems than there are answers. Um, Just brace yourself. Enjoy it. You know what? This is the fun of it, is thinking out the problems and trying to figure them out. What is the wonder? Is there a progression? Is there a logical progression amongst these wonders? Not sure I have a full answer to that one, but I can say that they wonder at Dante. And I can say this too. This is a moment reminiscent of the one with the schismatics. Remember the schismatics are walking around and Muhammad and Ali and their bodies are all cut up. Remember this? Down in the Malabolcha, they hear that Dante is just passing through hell. And they stop in wonder, and for a moment, these cut-up bodies forget their pain. Remember, we talked about this endlessly, the theology of wonder, and that wonder may be able, in some weird way, to even overrun the pains of hell. It may be the most crucial element of Dante's theology, wonder. If that's the case, then here are these souls waiting to be purgated, and they look at Dante, 
and they marvel, they wonder, they, they're caught in awe that a breathing soul is there with them. What you're going to find out is that purgatory is full of pain, <laughs> full up of pain, about as full of pain as hell itself. They're on their way to purgating through pain their sins, but they pause momentarily, this time, just like the schismatics, to look at Dante. Is there a way that awe trumps everything in Dante's theology. Let's finish out the passage. As people bunch around a messenger with an olive branch to hear the latest news without a care over how they jostle each other, so the whole lot of those fortunate souls stared hard at my face as if they'd forgotten they were to press onward to make themselves beautiful. Now, let's just stop and say that is really a beautiful phrase. I mean, they've got to move on, press on, go forward to make themselves beautiful. It's such a wonderful way to think about purgation. Purgation is not making yourself pure, it's making yourself beautiful. Beautiful is an aesthetic value. In Dante's redemption, and listen, we're going to talk about this endlessly in Purgatorio, in Dante's redemption, part of being redeemed is moving yourself into an aesthetic context. But oh, much more on that down the road. Let, let's just stop here and say there are a lot of commentary on these verses about where does it come from this olive branch to hear the news and you should just know that in Dante's day there are hundreds of examples the commentators go crazy finding examples of people who bring olive branches from one Italian town to another during these warring days that Dante lives in but more than that there are two episodes in the Aeneid in which an olive branch is brought forward and there's a lot of commentary about which of the two episodes in the Aeneid for the olive branch do they mean you can go out to Hollander's translation you can go out to a lot of different translations and watch them debate uh, which episode from the Aeneid is referenced here. I'm actually not going to touch that. Whatever the source here, there is this unbelievable bit that Dante's bringing news. What news is Dante bringing? Is he bringing the news that the living can now traverse the afterlife? Is he bringing the news that the work of redemption is not done because here he is, a living person in the afterlife, so God's plan is changing? Is he bringing the news that the living themselves can actually pass through purgation? Hmm. This living soul will pass through purgation because this is a huge question that will come up for us. And let me just introduce it here. It's not actually in this passage, but it brings up the question of what news is he bringing? It brings up this kind of sub point, which is going to become bigger for us is where exactly does purgation happen? Just so you know, in Dante's day, there is a dominant stream of theological thought that thinks that the majority of your purgation has to happen in your living body. And there is a second strain who actually went out in the debate that says the bulk of your purgation happens after you die, and thus the coming of the concept of purgatory. Well, Dante stands in a weird middle place here. I mean, he's a living body, and yet he's going to pass through some of the flames of 
purgatory. He's going to feel the heat (laughs) of the pain ahead. And in feeling that heat, he's going to be purgating in the flesh. So there is kind of a weird bit here that he is bringing news. That is, purgation can happen to the physical body as well as the spiritual body. Maybe that's the news. Whatever it is, it causes them to pause in wonder, just as the schismatics had done back in the Malabolja. A lot to say about this passage, this first bit of the second episode in Canto 2. Let's read the passage one more time. Lines 52 through 75 of Canto 2 of Purgatorio. The crowd who remained there looked around the spot the way strangers do when they try to size up new locales. The sun was shooting its well-aimed arrows of light in every direction, for he'd already hunted Capricorn out of the day's meridian. At that moment, the people raised their foreheads toward us and said to us, If you guys know, show us the path for scaling this mountain. And Virgil replied, maybe you believe we're perhaps familiar with this place, but we're pilgrims just as you guys are. We got here just now, just a little before you did, but by another road, one so harsh and hard that this climb will seem like a walk in the park to us. The spirits began to understand who I was, that I was breathing, that indeed I was still alive, and they blanched with wonder. As people bunch around a messenger with an olive branch to hear the latest news without a care over how they jostle each other, so the whole lot of these fortunate souls stared hard at my face, as if they'd forgotten they were to press onward to make themselves beautiful. I am so happy to be in Purgatorio. I love the fact that the questions are proliferating around us. Dante is walking into traps right and left. He'll try to solve some of those traps, other traps he can't solve. It's incredibly brave to step into the redemptive part of the afterlife where so many theological divines have so much at stake. Subscribe, rate, do all those things you need to do for this podcast. It is unsupported, and so your rating and your comments, even nice podcasts, are the way you can support a podcast like this one. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of ways to spend your time in the podcast landscape. Thanks for being here with me. We are on for more with these souls just out of the boat from the angel in the next episode of Walking with Dante. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you then.